so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hello and welcome. This is the Marseille View. My name is Stefan and we are back tonight with a post-match podcast covering yesterday's Trophée de Champion fixture with PSG. Uh, joining me tonight is Ben. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. Um, well, good. A bit disappointed after last night, but Happy New Year to everyone. Um, and yeah, hopefully 2021 is better for us. Cool. And also we've got Mo as well. How are you, Mo? Uh, good to be back. Happy New Year as well to everyone. Um, yeah, I, I'm not so optimistic about 2021, but obviously looking forward to the ride. Okay, yeah. You guys reminded me we haven't actually podcasted since last year, so yeah, apologies. Happy New Year to everyone. I completely forgot that this is our first of the new year. Um, so pretty straightforward stuff, I think, from us tonight. We'll do a run through all the recent fixtures, then we'll do our usual post-match analysis, talking about the, the game of Paris Saint-Germain yesterday, the key moments, the tops and flops, and we'll talk about our takeaways from that game and then at the end we'll cover some of the Mercato news and if we get time we'll cover any other news um, that were, that's sort of floating around the club at the time at the moment so I think starting off our first fixture in the new year uh, was against Montpellier so we came away well home home fixture we came away with a promising sort of 3-1 uh, yeah I'd say promising 3-1 victory it was a good start to the new year wasn't it yeah, if you'd have told us, um, especially that you know Montpellier, I think we're only a point behind us before the game. Um, no, if you told me we'd win and we'd win pretty convincingly. I mean, they did have some some players missing. Savigny was 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 missing, um, and another player was missing. So they were missing their playmaker. But they, yeah, I think it was it was an interesting game and. and Credit to Montpellier because you know we know that ninety percent of the of, of teams come to the Vélodrome and, uh, and and close up shots and defend deep and they they played football. It was a nice open game. We came away with a win. Um, I don't think we looked like losing, but we looked like we might draw after they equalised because they were all over us in the beginning of the second half. But Payet found a, a moment of brilliance and um, Germain scored with his third shot on target of the season, his third goal of the season. So, all in all, yeah, it was a good Wednesday night last week. Yeah, no, I think I completely agree with Ben. Um, I don't think we were in any danger of losing, but it took a while to sort of uh, get that elusive second goal, I felt, especially when Montpellier uh, got theirs. I mean, it, you know, I, I was worried, um, especially given our inability to really be clinical in front of goal despite a lot of chances uh, created that we wouldn't be taking any of them um, particularly in the second half where we just felt like a little bit uh, on top uh, for, for a period um, but yeah no, like Montpellier have been difficult to play with we know how the Zakarian uh, sets up his side I know they were a little bit afflicted by COVID but nonetheless um, it was a good result and a good platform to start uh, 2021, um, particularly with a slightly rearranged team that we played with, Radonjic, who, um, yeah, did score. Um, but again, like I said, you know, with a we we haven't had a game where I think we've scored more than three with AVB. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and you know, again, like you know, with the fact that we do create some substantial chances that doesn't really you know that doesn't come along very often. But when we do. They're typically decent chances. So, with, with a better quality up front and better ruthlessness um, and more incisiveness, you know, this is, I thought that sort of game could have been a, a proper morale boosting, confident victory. That said, you know, we did get our goals eventually after knocking on the door for a while. Um, it's a good three points against a decent team um, who are also in the race 
uh, for Europe. So I think we can be relatively pleased with that. Sorry, yeah, I agree, I agree with that. It was quite a slow start, wasn't it? But a sort of good sort of half an hour, last half an hour of the game, we were playing some nice fo- um, football. And I guess I was quite, I don't know if you guys mentioned it, but I was quite impressed with the, the two young midfielders in that match. I thought Kamara was almost like playing like a box to box at times. He was, you know, very energetic. And he's, I mean, he's been like that a lot lately, but he's really developed from being just a, a number six. Now he's kind of really. A box to box, isn't he? He's running all over the place. He's trying to create. He's trying to. He's having shots. He's he chases everything. It's quite good to see how he's sort of blossomed. Yeah, you're right, and he, he, he's, you have, it's, you're right to highlight it because, um, well, I, I, I won't say credit to Streetman, but you see when when Streetman comes on for was it Gay that went off in like the 60th minute or something? Kamara steps up a bit bit higher up on the pitch. And the result is he gets the assist for for Payet for the second goal, and he um, plays it through to to Chawi for the for him to cross for Jamal for the third goal. So, as you say, yeah, him and Gay were were very impressive, covered a lot of ground, um, and it, it it was probably one of um, one of their best games together. So after that start, our second fixture was against Dijon, and it wasn't quite the same, was it? It was. Um... A bit of a, a I see a letdown, but it was a bit disappointing coming out of a a game where we were playing some nice football to to one that was very very how do you say a bit of a non a non event, just not really much happening in it. Bit of a dull game. Um, it was it was dull. Yeah, it was it was uh, to a certain extent, but I think. When you look at the first 20 minutes, we were creating so many chances. And, you know, again, I think with a bit of quality, you know, there's there's games where, you know, the best teams or the best finishers and the best creators just do the job early on and then just hold on for the rest of the game. They get their two goals and that's a simple, they, you know, they rotate in the second half, calm down a little bit and just manage the game to completion. And once once those really key chances, particularly for Adonis, who I thought could have had a hat-trick, in, in, in the first half, um, you know, Dijon pretty much settled. Their defence was really good. Their tackle actually wasn't too bad either. There was a, I think there was a chance where they hit the post and um, Canate and, and, and Balde for, for Dijon were were pretty good. But, um, you know, the, the centre-backs, Manga and I think Koulibaly as well, were, were very, very good. Um, and it's just we got bogged down. We got bogged down. And what I really sort of got enraged about later on in the second half is is that in, in the last 10 minutes I mean you know I wasn't entirely sure whether Dijon were just going to hold on to the point or whether they're going to sort of just you know expand a little bit and you know try and snatch a win but there was just no urgency it was, it was quite stodgy in the last 10 minutes when you're thinking you know you're playing against a team that hasn't scored at home since October, mid-October um, it's 18th in the league and, and you kind of need the points let's be honest um, when you're playing a strong team you know, particularly it's the second game after the Christmas break. I, I just I was surprised to see us playing very very stodgy and really really annoyed at how we looked the last ten minutes, uh, 10, 10, 15 minutes or so. Um, yeah, it's just you know with the, with the introduction of Mali Aki as well, and you know and taking off Tolvan when 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 we did need you know a bit of a spark. I just I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't defeatist, but it just didn't sit well with me. Yeah, it was very negative. Um, and, and as you say, Radonich, I guess, yeah, he, he, it's frustrating because I want to praise him because you, you see the minute he goes off the pitch and is substituted, we stop creating anything. So he get he creates the danger, he runs at the defence, um, he does take people on and dribble, and, and that, his completion of dribbling and, and getting past his man will improve with, with game time, consistent game time and playing game after game as a starter. But at the same time, you, you know, you, you, you have a sour taste in your mouth because he, he did have at least two clear chances where he had the time to take a shot. And, um, you know, particularly in the first half, I think there's a cutback to him and he shoots it straight at the keeper in the middle. And then in the second half, he goes on that amazing run on the left and gets through to one-on-one with the keeper. Um, I don't think he was helped by Tovan's lack of movement because Tovan runs towards the goal instead of maybe hanging back. But 
he's got to do better. He's got to finish that. He's got to lift it over the keeper, and he just fires it straight at the keeper along the ground. So add, add to that the fact that everyone else was just subpar, looked very lethargic. Um, it's just extremely frustrating when, when you know that you need the win. And as you say, Mo, this is a team that aren't threatening. You know, they, 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 they shouldn't be causing us problems, and they didn't really cause us problems. We caused our own problems. None at all. Exactly. We, we caused our own problems by being lazy, and we, it, it looked like we almost lost interest in the second half. It looked like the players were just resigned, and they just they just thought it's not going to be their night. We're going to get a, 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 we're going to draw. Whereas last year, this type of game, we'd have snatched a win. We would have won. We would have scored, eventually scored, but we would have kept kept at it, kept fighting, and, and kept running and. I, I, I don't know. Some something seems broken. You know, it doesn't feel yeah. like everybody's on the same level of um, motivation. That's. I mean, I just. You know, first of all, it doesn't seem like anyone's on the same wavelength for me. You know, the defense again. I, I that was the sort of game where I just didn't focus on the defense because I I felt barely threatened. I know, like I said, the Vision attackers did have, which I think when they came off the woodwork once. And, and they were finding some space here and there, but that was only after a long period of, of chances for us um, and domination. That, to be honest, you know, Sakai ended up being the best player of the pitch because he was quite active down the right, except that you know Torvan wasn't providing any follow-on. Um, but Schletterza and, and, and Alvaro, they they looked completely untroubled nonetheless. Like you didn't need, you really need to you know focus on their game. It, the game got lost in midfield and and in attack in in you know getting the ball into the final third and, and providing good clear-cut chances. The Dijon goalkeeper was was good, but he wasn't amazing to suggest that, you know, it was it was a game that was thwarted by by the keeper. It was just completely self-inflicted. And obviously given the you know that, that same night I think you know Leon Leon um got the points at Ren. Yeah, they got the yeah. points at Ren and you know PSG and and and, and you know Lille are they they you know, we're, we're entering now the business side of the season. I don't, we were never, I think, in for the title as much as it was nice to have that sort of Christmas um, period where we're like, you know, you know, actually, you know, at one point on Saturday night, I was doing calculations as I do, as everyone knows, that I'm just looking at <laughs> the live permutations thinking, oh, if we win here, um, and Leon two games in hand, two games in yeah. hand, we'll be top. We would have been <laughs> one point clear at the top. And yet, Leon got the points, we fucked up, and, um, and you know those two games now, we just have to win those two games just to stay in touch. And it's not just to stay in touch yeah, for the title; it's just to stay in touch with the podium. We'll still be fourth. Three. And um, yeah. what what annoys me the most is that you know looking at the fixtures. Obviously, the fixtures move around quite a lot because of the pandemic. But you know we had a hard start, but an, an easy sort of mid autumn to Christmas, and then a relatively tough December with Monaco running Angers away, which is always tricky. And this is the period where, you know, we should be getting three, four wins on the bounce because February, either playing PSG, Monaco, uh, well, from the end of January, PSG, Monaco, Rennes, Lille, Lyon, and obviously we played PSG last night. Um, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, where are we going to be in March? Are we going to be still on the coattails or are we going to be adrift in fourth, fifth? Yeah, I think my you, you guys are right. I think my memory of that game's gone, gone a bit vague. It wasn't actually so bad, was it? At the start, it was more as the game went on. Um, I guess I just never really felt like we were going to score in that game. I, I kind of felt it was quite evident, not that far yeah, into it, that it was that we weren't going to score. I think early in the by early in the second half, I was I'd kind of like sort of given up on the hope of coming away with any any with a victory. And even uh, so, just even more worrying um, is is that we make substitutions, and you know, you're on paper you bring on Payet, you bring on Germain. Germain was probably the only substitute who was running and trying to win, you know, clearances and headers and and co- combine with the other players. But for fuck's sake, again, you bring on Payet, and he just didn't look like he fancied it. He looked like he went, oh, what minus three, Dijon frozen pitch, no thanks, mate. Absolutely useless. You know, he, we had like probably six or seven corners after he came on. I don't remember a single one of his corners clearing the near post. True. And yeah. it, it just, it just did not fancy it. And you know, you, you look at ADB substitutions that over his time at OM have, have 
you know, served him quite well. They've been quite decisive. Some last season, every time he brought on a substitute, he seemed to either score or create a goal. Um, but this season, the trend has been uh, if, if even that's not working for him, then he's you know he's run out of luck and he's running out of ideas. And it's just it's just how how do we get the best out of out of a player like Payet who who clearly isn't up for it? Yeah, I think he he brought on Aki, didn't he as well? And he didn't perform very well either. And he I got quite a lot of criticism it seems from a lot of the fans. Well, it's his um, 26th game. Yes, he's he's been a substitute probably 24 of those times, but it's his 26th game. He's got no assists, no goals, um, and you, you don't want to be harsh because yeah, it's difficult when you're you know when you're playing 10 minutes here and there. But quite clearly, this the kids should have gone out on loan, you know, and they're talking about it now in January. And and AVB's like, yeah, I could do without Aki and Pierre if, if the club wants them and he's going to play them consistently. And you're thinking, why didn't we do this in the summer? Because he could be at Nîmes. Or I don't know, you know, Nîmes or a club like that, or Strasbourg, and getting a lot more game time, and he's just rotting on the bench. And if he does have potential, mentally he's gonna, you know, he's gonna crumble, especially after the criticism he got the other night. So we're not, he's not doing it. We're not doing anyone any favors by by not loaning these kids out or playing them consistently. Yeah, I think we'll move on actually to the main item on tonight's podcast. So. We last night, sorry, we went into the Trophée de Champion against Paris Saint Germain, um, which is, uh, if anyone's not familiar, it's the it's kind of equivalent to what was the I don't know what you call it in England. Didn't it used to be the Charity Shield? Is it still called the Charity Shield? The Community Shield. Community, Community Shield. Shield now, yeah. Um, so it's like the winners of the cup against the winners of the league. Which, so really, just a sort of very expensive friendly for the summer, isn't it? Before the season starts, and in France, I think they usually play it and. In other countries now, don't they? They've done it. I'm sure they've. I think done they it. have been. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they have been for the last four. Well, the last ten years almost. Not every well, yeah, year. Well, yeah, yeah. From two thousand. We played eight, nine. Yeah, because we, we played. Yeah, we played in, in, uh, in Morocco. Yeah, mm. so we played the uh, Tunisia. Yeah, we played PSG, beat them on penalties, and then we beat Lille five four in some crazy sort of good memory game in got. Tunisia. So we didn't, I mean, obviously we didn't win anything last year, so really it was a bit pointless as being in this game, if you ask me. It was all a bit silly. And at this stage of the season as well, you kind of wonder why they even bothered um, placing this in the fixture list for the season. <laughs> I've got my own but, ideas, to be honest. Well, um, <laughs> because I just get the feeling that a certain team wanted a certain trophy um, to, uh, you know, just to enlarge their trophy cabinet and because um, we didn't want it. I don't think we wanted this game. Again, we didn't really qualify for it at all, as, as you said. So I'm just thinking, you know, given the finances involved, and no one really needs to put on a match mid-pandemic in January uh, when fixtures are already, you know, tight. Um, so I'm just wondering whether there was some, you know, motivation or a little push to, to actually stage this fixture rather than cancel it. Probably. If if you kind of look at the 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 situation, if you look at sort if you look at the, the the trophy and what it's about, I mean, it would make more sense for Paris Saint Germain to play their fucking B team. It was kind of yeah, I just don't really get it. But anyway, it's a game against Paris Saint Germain, and you know, I think if we'd won the game, we'd all have been pretty chuffed. So um, we didn't, obviously. Uh, we lost two one. Um, kind of interesting game actually. Like not necessarily the best game ever, not necessarily the most exciting, but this I think some kind of interesting um, sort of things throughout the game and in terms of how we played certain sections of the game. Um, yeah, so st- I, I guess starting off with you, Mo, like, I don't know, what was, just generally, what what was your kind of thoughts on the match as a whole? Um, yeah, I mean, again, you're just going to have to put it down to quality of chances and when they're taken. Um, because... I think, you know, the second half, OM played better. I think in the first half, we, we escaped it, you know, for, for, for large periods. And to go into halftime at 1-0, I wasn't really, you know, too um, disappointed with that. Considering they had, you know, a handful of goals chalked off for offside. But in the second half, we had, again, the chances. We we had um, moments, you know, Tovan in particular... Um, I don't think Pai was quite effective as a false nine. Radonjic, um 
took a while to get into the game, but you know, offered some interesting movement on the far left. Um, and it, it's you know, again, it's you know, when is it going to get better in terms of a you know, a confident commanding attacking performance? Because I'll, I'm I'm pleased in that you know the classic games are closer now somewhat um, over the past year. Um, and PSG, you know, it was like if everyone looks at the scoreline, you see two one. You're thinking, wow, close game. And then in the end, PSG really, if you look at it, did score via uh, you know dubious penalty, um, and uh, you know tapping after what was a decent but awkward save for for Steve Mandanda. So, um, you know, it's, it's highly. It's not like they they you know ripped our team apart and and confidently placed their two goals. It's just you know a man of those things, and that's what annoys me a little bit. You know, if it was just a a two, you know, comfortable two 0 three 0 Then you just say, look, we're not as good. End of. What rankles a little bit was the humiliations one put to one side. But when you know that actually, if you'd given a bit of a go, you could have probably won that game. That that rankles me even more. Um, because yeah, like we had chances. This is the first time I think we've outshot and you know had more chances than PSG in a, in a long, long while. You know, uh, other than some of the in the Velodrome games, um, the 3-2 with Giniac, etc. I can't remember at a time where we've actually matched PS3 in the final third. Uh, you know, we normally just set up to counter or just, you know, just you know, put the doors up. Um, so that was that was really, really annoying for me. But um, in the end, you know, now that we've lost, I don't think we've gained any benefit, any knowledge, any understanding from that game because... The quality just isn't there for me to, to really change games. We don't have a second option, a plan B on the bench, which we did, you know, in pretty years gone by with even weaker teams. You know, we had, um, you know, striking options off the bench, a change of formation possible, different profiles on, on the wingers or the fullbacks. You know, you've got your hard work for wingers and you've got your uh, pacey dynamic winner. We don't have any of that. Um, so it really just felt like going through the motions and you know, I don't want to be pessimistic, but I'd like to get your opinions on this. Um, is it setting the tone, you know, like for the rest of the year? Because for me, that second half was literally just going through the motions. And considering the games that we played, you know, at Lorient, at Strasbourg, etc., late last year, they'll, you know, does it look like we're just going to go through the motions? That's exactly what we did in the Champions League. So is that the trend for, for the upcoming year? Because if not, we're going to need a big January. Do you know what though? I think um, this game yesterday, it just it. I mean, there's no fans there. I know that's a, a major factor in this, but there was, it just felt like there was no atmosphere whatsoever, especially in the first half. Yeah, it was pissing it down as well. It was pissing it down, and and it was just awful quality of football. Everybody was missing passes and stuff. It just it, and that favoured us to be fair because PSG could have maybe scored two in the first half, you know. Yeah, so it, it just it felt incredibly flat. Not just the football, but the the atmosphere, and didn't feel like a derby game between, or you know, a game a, a game between Marseille and Paris Saint Germain. It didn't feel like that at all. Um, felt a little bit casual, actually. I felt like in the first ten fifteen minutes, I was like, "Is this actually Marseille versus Paris Saint Germain?" Just feel so so relaxed. Um, you know, you, did, you, you kind of... had that thing at the beginning, didn't you, when um, Di Maria bundles Sakai over and Sakai gets up and apologises to him. It's like... <laughs> I don't remember that, but... Um, for fuck's sake. Do you know, kind of the way you describe the game is kind of interesting because for me, I for me, I kind of felt like you could probably divide the match into different um, sections where the play seems slightly different. So I think for the most part in the first half, the PSG were just moving the ball in quite comfortably. They could have had a few goals, to be honest. I know they had a couple chopped off outside, a couple of good chances. Like I, um, When they wanted to, they were able to just pick passes and cut through our defence. And it... I didn't really feel like in the first half we really showed very much at all, but certainly for sections in the second half we were actually putting together some nice football and as you said we were creating chances and probably more chances than what we normally get to create against PSG and I don't know if that's because um, we were playing better or if it's because maybe PSG didn't really feel that there was any real threat so they were maybe quite happy to, to let us have the ball more and, and not um, 
maybe not press um, presses so heavily when we did have the balls. I don't know. Um, but it's, you're right. There was a few moment where I thought, do you know what? We could actually maybe nick a second goal um, and push this game further. But it, well, we could I mean, it's it, for me. Yeah, this is true as well. Um, I guess for me, like it just felt the effort that we put into this game all came too late. You know, it was um, when we started showing some bright play when it was already for me we were already going to lose the game. Um, so yeah, I just feel like for me maybe PSG just kind of took the foot off the pedal and let us kind of sort of come into the game a little bit more. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna echo Mo, um, and I've got two two main takeaways from the game last night. Well, come to takeaways um, after, like, but yeah, it's, it's well, just gonna... uh, if you want to, but I'll, I'll, yeah, I guess I'll do it. I'll do it in, in the analysis mode. But to echo Mo's sentiment of, is this setting the trend for what we're going to see for the rest of the of, of the season? Um, so the, my first my first impression from last night is yes we 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 were closer to them and we we didn't give them so much space but you know we, yes they scored two goals in the first half that were chalked off but they were causing danger and we know that seasons gone by they 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 usually two or three nil up at half time and it could have been the case it wasn't but as you say Steph we we just woke up too late um, and we were we, we created chances we we had three or four opportunities where the ball was cut back to the edge of the box. And we scuffed every single one of those shots when, when almost went outside of the stadium. They were so far off target; it was unbelievable. Um, and and the, the player that I've, 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 I think we've all given him some slack because he's been here 18 months, and we know the conditions. Not an easy system and stuff, but I think I don't think there is a huge margin of, margin of improvement for Valentin Rongier. I think. I don't think he's going to get better. I don't think that he's capable of better. Um, I, I think that he's he's playing. He's hit his ceiling. He's a good little busybody player, but he's, he's nowhere near the Champions League level that we we need or we expect at Marseille. And that's the problem: is we we suck up on these types of signings. Sanson's another one who, even though he's got a better goals and assists ratio than Rongier over the year, is he's never quite developed into that player. And I think we're going to be lumbered with 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 Rongier, who's you know, yes, a decent little midfielder, but doesn't score and doesn't provide assists. Um, so that's, that's agree one with problem. That, but I mean, I, I, don't, I still think he was a decent signing. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think he's, well, for, he's yeah, never going to be. He's not, is he? He's never going to be, you know, a world class midfielder. But he was a decent player. But yeah, I agree with that. That is, we've seen his ceiling. Yeah, I'm not even asking for world class though. I'm asking for. You know, we've had some some players like Alexis Romao and and. Um, you know, some, some average midfielders, but still who, who managed to, you know, to be decisive and, and at least perform consistently. And the thing is, we've just got him and, and Tosson are now clones of each other and they just run all around like headless chickens um, and they just don't contribute goals or assists nearly near enough as, they, as, as other teams' midfielders do. And that's a handicap for us and it has been for, for years now. Um, and the second takeaway is to do with, with most most sort of sentiment of is this the trend you know, are the players sort of realising that there isn't much margin for improvement and they're going to have to battle and are they up for it? I, I feel like we're on the, the, you know, we're going down the ski slope now and we're seeing the beginning of the end of AVB. I, I don't think he's going to stay. And, I, and, and he's, he's, he said that in the press. Anyway, he said he's, he, he, liked, he wanted to sign for one year and then one more. You can't in France, so he signed for two. And he said that he's not happy that under French law, he would have to sign for two years instead of only one more. What do you mean? I think How... he's going to go. You can't sign one-year contract as a manager because of the um, the employment laws. You've got to sign a minimum of two-year contract. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, but so, but you you just feel, and and the reason I say that is obviously we've seen him get very frustrated this season and realise that he's never going to do anything with OM with the current ownership structure and the lack of funds even if we do qualify for the Champions League again. And, and he, he was almost Garcia-esque last night in, in his post-match comments. He actually came out and said, the best team lost tonight. And, and it's just like, increasingly, it feels like he's just he's losing it. And I feel like he's just reaching the end of his tether and he's, he can't wait to get out of here now. 
Yeah, but he's got, I've seen that before, isn't it? He's got a track record of being like this when he's under pressure. I don't think he copes very well um, when things aren't going very well. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, the, the thing is, it's translating into the squad now. And there's, of a, there's a lack of, of harmony. And, and play, some players like Camara, Alvaro, um, you know, even Benedetto, who runs around Germain, they're up to the fight. They know that they've got to battle and, and go into every challenge and go for every ball like, like they're dying of, you know, they're, like they're, they're starving for the ball. But the problem is, we know that when the going gets a bit tough, you you lose the, the Payets, you will lose the Rongiers, you will lose the... Even Amavi, you know, no guarantees that it will come back and be up for, for, for the task. And now that those players have realised that it's not going to be an easy ride like last year because our competitors are outplaying us and outperforming us and, and outscoring us in terms of points and goals, uh, we're in danger of getting to sort of end of February, March time, realising we're five points off the podium and we've, we've played both our games in hand and everybody just completely demobilising and, and finishing the season horribly. I'm worried about that. That scares me. And um, just to add to that, uh, quickly, just to add to that, it's just, it just feels like a world away from AVB's body language. So this time last year, especially when we had a, a relatively... Um, uh, average January, but then you saw with the comeback at Lille, for example, and and just like each win brought, you know, like the, the communion between the players and the coach, him and the media, you know, very espousing the positivity and the qualities of the players and you know the fans as well taking to AVB with the murals and whatever. It just feels a world of away from that. And I just don't know what's caused it to be honest. I don't know whether it's just added pressure now that in the Champions League and there's more scrutiny. Is it the financial? Um, situation where they've got to plan a bit better and you know things are even tough and people are just worried about their livelihoods and off the field stuff which is normal as well it, or just like just fatigue from just playing in empty stadiums and not really feeling anything when you're playing football I just don't know what it is I just feel like he's off he didn't get off to a good start did he to the season if you think about all the problems that were happening at this, before the summer with, with Zubi Zaretta going and AVB exactly. been very un- unclear about whether he was going to stay or not. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think maybe that might be the beginning of the end from back then. Um, just going back to the game, actually, um, just, just think if there's any couple of things from the actual match I wanted to pick out. I suppose the Alvaro Neymar kind of reunion was kind of interesting, wasn't it? It looked like times that Alvaro was actually trying to rip Neymar's head off. At one moment, good. Definitely, the... no, I don't blame him. I really don't blame him either. <laughs> he definitely was very keen to, to um, well, basically rough him up and and kick him whenever he could. Surprised he never got sent but off. But it's one of those, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. It's one of those where you you see the, the incompetence of French refs because you you can see clearly, you know the history, you know that you can see from the first couple of challenges that he, he's. He's completely going in there to hurt the sucker. He wants Neymar. He wants blood. You know, it could have been... I, I was very surprised Alvaro didn't get sent, sent off for his second challenge on Neymar, let alone when he grabbed his face, you know? So, yes, we, I was happy to see it because Alvaro is a warrior and, you know, fair play to him. He's, he's been outstanding since he's, he's gotten over that whole incident with Neymar. It took him a couple of games, but he's been outstanding since end of October for me. And But at the same time, it's... You know, it's, if that's the highlight of the game, it says a lot about the rest of the game, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, another thing, actually, I guess it was worth mentioning was um, Tovan, actually, in, in the, especially in the second half. He put in quite a bright performance, I felt. And, and yeah, so was, despite what we've been reading in the news the last week about his potential departure, which we can talk about later on after this section but yeah I, I don't know he just for me he was playing pretty well and actually a bit more like a team player than he has been recently wouldn't you say well, he's in a shot window now he isn't was he? brilliant yeah <laughs> he was brilliant in the second half he, he um and there was a whole um I, I i did shout when i found out that he swapped his shirt with mbappe at half time but um you know fair play to him he came out and he, he put he, he played a blinder in the second half um he wasn't helped by Hadonich being moved into the central role. And I think there's a particular chance where he, he gets all the way in his shoes, doesn't he? He was never going to go in because he was, he was at an awkward angle on his right foot. But Hadonich just fucking stands there, lets him run past him. And, and when he gets to the box, 
Radonich has, has woken up five seconds too late, realised, oh shit, I should probably go and offer some support. And the only other player who's rushing for the box is Kamara. Where the fuck is Payet yet again? You know, if he's not trying to get into the area when we've got when Tovan's going past the defence and there was no one on the PSG's right side of defence, when is he going to when is he going to wake up and realise? Oh shit, maybe I should have been in the area. You know, so it's yeah, Tovan was outstanding last night. It's funny you say Payet because you, you you guys I think said we're talking about his possession earlier on that he started as a false name, but. It was really hard to see that on the pitch for me. Like at times, that he was so deep that I was thinking he was actually playing as a deep light, trying to play as a deep line playmaker. I know that everyone was really deep at moments, but he just drifted back so so deep um, that yeah, just I really couldn't really understand the system at times up front. Who who's the focal point? Yeah, so. I suppose the other thing that's worth mentioning from um, last night's game as well is the fact that we had a deputant, so Paul Lirola, I'm trying to remember his first name there, sorry. Um, so he, there's a new signing, um, so he made his debut at right back, he came on, I think for Nagatomo, didn't he? What were your impressions of him? Because I think he had about a good 25, 30 minutes on the pitch maybe, yeah? So we got to see yeah. a, a bit of him, I think. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it was the debut the day after he signed, so I wasn't really expecting anything. Um, and not, I don't think I really noticed him much in, in in that second half, other than the first five minutes were a bit rocky in terms of him driving forward and then that difficult pitch and just sort of adjusting uh, with the new teammates, etc. I think so he had one training session. It can be it can be quite difficult. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what, what he brings. I, I like this sort of signing because it on paper, you know, reflects uh, and recoups essentially uh, a little bit of the things that we lost with Bruno Sarr, who um, I'm going to just have to add is not having a good time at Bayern Munich. Um, surprise, but, um, surprise. He, uh, surprise, surprise, yeah. <laughs> um, he, he, you know, he's dynamic. He actually plays a lot as a, as a right midfielder. So it'll be interesting to see his defensive qualities. I don't think he's defensively as strong as Sarr or, or Sakai, but you know, he's he's played continuously for Fiorentina um, in a three-five-two. You know, right on the right side of the midfield. Um, so, if we're looking to be more offensive and more, uh, you know, cutting uh, going forward, uh, you know, I think Torvan might appreciate that a bit more. I think Sakai is declining in his attacking involvement year on year. It's not like it was in twenty eighteen or seventeen eighteen, uh, where he was just really busting a gut for, for Torvan and doing all the work in going up and down to a really decent effect, so much so that, um, you know, you kind of almost saw, see, you know, saw Tovan um, sort of flop when he had to be moved on to the left to accommodate um, Saar coming in, you know, if Amavi was injured or something. But, um, yeah, Lirola is it's dynamic. Um, so it offers that plan B, and that's what I think we need. We need more different profiles on um, in, in the squad, you know, different types of players so that, we can uh, unlock games and have different op- options if, if the game requires. So we're interested to see how he gets on. I, I want him to be ready to start soon because Sakai's, you know, played three, three and a half, four months completely on his own and has just looked completely cooked. He, he was good at Dijon, but the man needs a rest. So I hope Lirola is able to start and, and you know, really get his hands dirty ASAP. It's just a shame that we missed out on on Joachim Myler, who went to obviously Atlanta, um, because I think he was just a perfect player and a perfect team as well. Brilliant. But I, um, yeah, I'll do it quick for Lirola. He creates the chance for Thauvin when he gets the assist for Payet when we get the consolation at the end. And quite frankly, uh, I think, you know, as a, as a football fan for your team, new signing, you're excited when he comes on for the first time. You expect, you know, you don't know what to expect, but you're, you're sort of optimistic and hopeful he's going he's gonna to be good. But I was actually more relieved to see Nagatomo get the fuck off the pitch than I was excited to see Liola coming on. <laughs> I think we just looked a lot better with Sakai out on the left because yet again, Nagatomo had a fucking horrific game. Okay. Um, I... Okay, I had a mixed impression of him, to be honest. So he looked kind of interesting, quite comfortable in the ball at times. 
you know, he contributed to the the well, the goal actually, the move that led to the goal, didn't he? Um, there was a moment where he had towards the very late in the game where he'd come forward and he'd left. He didn't track back, and he he got he'd left a huge. Um, gaping hole in, in, in the defence and we got caught out actually unfortunately it didn't lead to anything significant but it was quite noticeable how how badly he was caught out of position and then I, other than that I just remember the fault with the well another fault he made was just a really poor long throw again very late in the game at a very important moment as we were trying to get that um, equalising goal I don't know I mean it's too hard I, d- I didn't know anything I'd never heard of him before so I didn't you know I don't I don't know what to expect I'm not expecting a massive amount to be honest but what what's interesting about him is physically he looks quite interesting he's a big guy um, and I know Wacky Mala is also quite a big guy and is, is, to me it seems clear that we were maybe we were looking for that kind of profile as someone who's big and athletic at right back, um, which is kind of interesting, you know, a kind of like a Tom Amunier type, um, maybe someone like that. Um, he's got a bit of physicality um, as well as you know quality going forward. But anyway, we'll see. Um, so just moving on from that, just very quickly, what are your tops? Well, yeah, your tops and flops. So if you can pick a top and flop from last night's game. Um, it's hard to it's hard to pick out a top. I thought, yeah, yeah. I, I probably don't have any tops to be honest. Uh, Tolvan probably looked um, the best, I, I suppose. Uh, kind of, especially in the second half when he took the captain's armband, took some responsibility, and um, and looked threatening. Um, there was a particular chance where he went, he took on three defenders and, and forced Navas into a really good save that I particularly particularly enjoyed. Um, as for flops, well, um, you'll be looking, I think, Nakatomo again struggled. I don't think he's been having a good game. I think Pap Gay in particular as well, not at the level that I expect him to be and not the level that he's been at uh, in, in in the last couple of, of games. Uh, normally he's the bright spark of our midfield, but again, I think he, he struggled. Um, yeah, what about you, Ben? Pretty much agree. Um, yeah, top Tovan is probably the only one that stood out and looked like he wanted and he he understood that it was a derby game, regardless of the trophy, whatever. In the second half, he 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 thought we've got no, I've got nothing to lose. Let's go for it. And he he was our best performer. And yeah, in the flops, um, Angier, Nagatomo, Payet, and, um, and and Gay. And with Gay, you know, I'd like his. His football, I think he's he's a great asset to the team, but I'm I've got growing concerns about his sort of discipline, in in the sense that he does seem rather rash on on quite a few of his challenges, and as we saw against Hen, the referees have now got his number, um, and he if he if he can calm down and, and you know turn back into the sort of calm composed giant that we saw in in his first sort of five six seven outings. I'd, I'd be, I'd be more, you know, I'd be less concerned. But I, I, I hope he sort of relaxes a bit more and um, stops going in for those rush challenges. Yeah, I have to say I agree with both of you. Tovan, obviously, for the top and the flop, Nagatomo and Gay, absolutely. Um, okay, so just to wrap up then with the coverage of the PSG game. Just want to get what your takeaways were from last night's game. I know you've probably kind of touched upon them already, but just to finalise things, um, glorified friendly, um, waste of time, um, but also it sets things up really nicely for for Feb seventh. I think we're playing them next at the Velodrome. Um, you, you know, we're seeing maybe a third instalment of Alvaro Neymar who. Um, Alvaro, I think you know it was risky to get a red card, but if he got a red card last night, I, I'd, I'd be honestly fine with that because you know he's human, but also just a lot of the shit that was you know flung at him um, in October. I don't doubt they would affect him, but and I think maybe it's the only person in the team that has a bit of motivation. I think everybody else is just a bit flimsy, but um, it sets things up for um, for the Velodrome match on, on the seventh of Feb. 
um, where, where I doubt, you know, I, I don't doubt at all that there won't be any atmosphere because I'm sure the fans will be milling around setting up flares and, and whatever. So I hope that sets it up. And if we if we manage to get a point or better, I think we can close this chapter this season with, with PSG and be really chuffed with ourselves. Keep in. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I was just Googling, actually, because I think... Um, yeah, so uh, takeaways, which I've said, I think that we're, we're starting to see the, the collapse of the AVB, um, you know, the end of the, the start, the beginning of the end of his tenure. I think he's, he's sort of, you know, he's, he's letting go. Um, and the players are as well. I was just Googling because um, Alvaro, yes, didn't get sent off, but he got another yellow card, which means he's going to miss the Monaco game. Um, and that that is you know a bit shit considering that we've seen a lot less of Bellardi in the last six weeks. So uh, if he's just <laughs> thrown in at him. the deep end, sorry, I just completely forgot about him. You're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But if he's thrown in at the deep end against Monaco without having played at least you know a few minutes before then, um, yeah, that worries me. He, Alvaro is clearly our most consistent performer in these in these last few weeks, and. Um, that's that's my takeaway. Is we're we're going to lose him, um, but it was it was probably worth it just to see him kick the crap out of Neymar for a few minutes. That was good. I'm going to say something different, and I suppose this isn't anything new for me or for any of us. But I think it was just kind of highlighted last night, and that is that. Well, with the uncertainty around Tovan's future, um, if he goes. We have a real problem in terms of, you know, not, I wouldn't say creativity because Tovan's a bit selfish, but we, we have a real problem in that final third. We, you know, a player that can make the difference because Payet is clearly not reliable anymore. We need we need to replace Payet as well. And if we lose Tovan, I think we're just, we have nothing really going forward. So that's a real concern for me is the the dependence that we have on Tovan, even though Tovan hasn't been at his best in the last year, I guess. So, yeah, that's my takeaway. Okay, so I think that's probably enough for the PSG game. And I just wanted to mention a little bit, we'll talk a little bit about Mercato before we finish up. So, we've already talked about Lirola. I don't know if... So, he came in at right back. I don't know if we really want to say any more about him because we've kind of already given our thoughts on him. Um, I, I, I do. I do. You do? Okay, do. on you go. Not, not, about, not about him, but about the manoeuvring in, in itself. Um, so, we, we, we've heard Santons mentioned and statistically, Santons has actually had better season than, than Lirola and Takai so far, statistically and attacking and defensively. But... Anyway, seems like that's water under the bridge. Um, I'm I'm perplexed at the structure of of these deals that we're talking about, and um, particularly the business we did in the summer as well, because we now have three players on loan with options to buy that there's no way in hell we can afford for one of them, let alone all three of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it it just can, I, I'm perplexed that we've even included an, an an option to buy when we know damn well we can't afford ten twelve million. And I'll be really pissed off if we put twelve million on on the right bank because twelve million we can spend on a midfielder or or, or an attacking player, a winger, you know. So yeah, that, uh, nothing against Lirola. Hopefully he's a good player. He looks looks like he's got potential. We'll see what we'll see when he plays more games. But I'm I'm just really questioning the point of why we've got these options to buy and why we've negotiated unrealistic prices. I don't think is, is we'll keep just, any of those players. Yeah. I think it's just that just on the market these days where, you know, options are involved. I just hope there's no like a 25 game limit or 20 game limit so that we just don't play them from March onwards because we've used, well, not used Belardi at all, but Cuisance in particular has been, has been on and off in and around the team. Um, it's just uh, you know we we we've only used the loan market extensively once before that was 2016 15 16 with De Chelier and um, Mauricio uh, you know Isla was it Isla um, yeah um, I just I don't know whether that's just football but 40 million that's a potential 40 million outlay for the three of them and that's just not going to happen um, so who knows we're going to need perhaps a bigger summer outlay. 
to just replace them, I suppose. Yeah, I to be honest, I I don't I don't think we're going to keep any of them as I said. And the Leroy deal is a bit odd to me. So it's a big fee actually for someone who hasn't really played a lot of football recently. Um, yeah, I find it a bit of a strange deal, especially when other guys like Santons were available. Possible, I don't think he was available actually. Was I don't think Mets wanted to sell him, but he possibly would be available at a much cheaper price. So maybe we the plan is that, and we're going for someone else in the summer. We've been linked to Kenny Lala. I think it's available on a free transfer in the summer. So I don't expect really um, to for this guy to be a long term signing. And I'd say the same for Cuisance. And Balerdi as well. I just feel that, but I feel like Long Longoria is is as you're saying, more just trying to kind of make the best of a shit market at the moment, and maybe he's trying to pull off some deals that he thinks might kind of become quite fruitful. Um, they're bit, they're all kind of gambles, aren't they? There's like young players that we don't really know how they're going to to settle. But I maybe I, I maybe they know deep down that they're not really expecting to actually sign any of them so, but it's very odd it's it's kind of strange strategy it's not it's not a good strategy long term so yeah to have lots of players on loan and that doesn't bring much stability either to the squad so the other um signing well that we, we've been told that we may make uh, this winter is a new striker uh, obviously badly needed because Benedetto has uh, forgotten how to score goals this season, uh, and, and to be honest, from most of his time in Marseille. But um, yeah, so we've been linked with a few names. The one that's kind of, I suppose, getting the most headlines and most attention is the potential deal for. Uh, sorry for his pronoun- for my pronunciation with this one, but Arkadiusz Milik from Napoli, a Polish striker, which. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of reports today, especially about negotiations between the two clubs. Um, I, I mean, for me personally, I think I think this deal is going to go through. I think he's the guy that we're going to end up with. It looks though Napoli are a difficult club to to bargain with, but it looks like we're really focused on trying to get him in. Um, and I don't see the the from what's been reported, what the two parties are. You know whether what what they're wanting doesn't seem that far far apart to me. But what do you guys think about Milik? And do you think he would be a good signing if he comes, or or not? Or you prefer some of the other names that have been talked about, which we can cover? Um, probably. You know, he's a great name. First of all, I know that his sort of peak period is about two three years ago in in his you know Ajax and the Napoli days. Uh, but a fantastic striker who just hasn't had the rub of it. Obviously, had a serious injury, and then with with Napoli, is you know it's not Napoli aren't don't want to um, dispense of him because he's injured and just not the same again. It's just that he decided not to extend his contract. You know, following a period that he was injured for quite a long time, and Napoli was like, "Well, we stood by you for all this time. So if you're not going to if you're not going to sign, then." You can just sit on the bench and outside be outside of the, you know, the registration um, squads for for the Serie A and, and Europa League. But um, he's he's still a he's still a very very good player. He scored the winning goal last year in in in, in the Coppa Italia and um, you know thirty four league goals um, over over the last two two seasons in in Serie A, which is still you know very difficult league. Um, he's he's a very very good player, and then you know four or five years ago with Ajax also in double figures um, as well. We don't have a lot of options on the bench. You know, I know people have mentioned Bulaidia, but um, it looks like he might you know have a move to England at some point. Um, you know, well, you apparently, scored... apparently, go on. Sorry, just for the yeah, apparently he's flying to have his medical with West Ham tomorrow. Oh, well, there you go, and that's. And that's and that's the end of his career then. So, um, um, yeah, so Mateta in in um, at, at Mainz, who has seven goals as well so far this season, which is not a bad return at all. Um, you know, Milik is a star name. He is a star name in Europe, um, and he needs this because of his situation where 
He is, um, you know, not playing for quite a long time um, and is desperately needing to get minutes and not just get minutes, but really improve uh, so he can return to the Polish national squad ahead of the Euros. And I think, you know, it just came out with yesterday, the Polish FA said, look, simple, if you don't play, you're still at Napoli, you're not, you're not coming. Um, and Napoli have got, um, sorry, not Napoli, Poland have got other players with Piatek, um, in particular, and obviously Lewandowski, and you know they don't need really a third number nine. I think they'll do just fine. So it 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 can work, and I think other teams are just biding their time because they don't have the essential like need for a proper scoring number nine in January, and they're just happy that given the context of finances and the pandemic, that they're happy to wait till till the summer. Um, and in the summer, there's absolutely no way that it's going to sign for Marseille then because you'll have, you know, even, uh, you know, I see Juventus um, retaining an interest in particular. Um, you know, they're going to have a higher calibre of teams to pick from. Um, so it suits us at the moment. And there's just the fees that are being noted at the moment, I think it's up to £15 million and in a, in a quarter of a future sale fee. That's just not going to happen. But you never know. That's what we said about Mitroglu three, three, four years ago. Um, who had similar figures, who had a decent goal record in Europe and in, for Benfica, and was signed for 15 million for just half of his rights. And you can see how that worked. And personally, I would have loved to have seen Mitroglu back in the team. Um, unlike, unlike many, many Marseille fans, I, I have good memories of him, and I don't think that it's solely his fault, you know, that this has turned out to be a a flop, so I would have loved to have seen him rehabilitated because why are we paying him if he's not in the squad? You know just how much millions that we've wasted at Denor with Rami and co just for doing absolutely nothing. That could have been the difference in you know getting one or two million extra to get you know a Myler or Milik or something. So that just really, really annoys me. Um, as for if he signs, you know, he is a player that is not your sort of typical archetypal number nine. He's a is a sort of a, a relative false nine. He he plays and you know um, operates just outside the box and drives the ball forward and, and creates chances. So you know does that mean bring him bringing in would see Pyatt staying at the in, in the left? You know remains to be seen. But I hope he does come um, because that would probably be a, a good a good um, a good signing and a big probably the biggest signing we've probably had since Luis Gustavo in terms of name alone. On, on paper, yeah, and he's, he's left-footed as well, which actually is quite interesting um, if he was to play down the middle. Um, but, again, it, it's, I hope that he will be the one to break the trend because, yet again, we're, we're facing a, a fucking ridiculous deal structure for a player that only has six months left on his contract. Yes, we're paying a premium so that he doesn't go elsewhere, maybe a bigger club for free in the summer. Um, but, but as we know, Napoli are a nightmare to negotiate with. So De Laurentiis is asking for apparently 15 million and 30% of any future resale value. And it's like, hang on, mate, are you taking, you know, you're, this is beyond taking the piss. Um, but I think, Mo, you said it in, in, our, in our WhatsApp group chat for, for the OM group, for the London guys, that yes, I wouldn't mind. And you're right, we, we probably would do well to, to play hardball and wait until the 25th and say, how about now, you know? I think well, we sure. should, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do that. Urgent, yeah. I think yeah, we but need that's, to bring that's him only in relevant as soon as we if can. we have a backup plan. But with tonight's news that Diaz is, is off the market, uh, suddenly we, we're at risk of, of being being the laughing stock again. And, and I do think Longoria will be exploring other options. But the problem is, if you go, if you want anybody that's half decent, his club, because you're five days before the end of the market, they're going to ask for a premium. So we'll probably end up overpaying for someone else anyway. So we need a nine. Um, Milik is a name. Milik maybe has the motivation, and he's got he's got you know he's got the incentive because if he wants to play the Euros, he has to perform and score. But I do worry that yet again we, we'll look back on this deal in a couple of years and go for fuck's sake he's now rotting in the reserves or he's out on loan somewhere, and and you know we paid you know never Euro masterclass where we've overpaid for players that only had six months left on his contract and Napoli pissing themselves because they got 10 million for, for someone that never wanted to play there. So I, I'm, I'm concerned that, that Napoli are playing hardball, but I think we'll, we'll probably do a deal for him. 
But I'm also concerned that, yes, if we wait, we may get a lower fee. But if we wait, it may be too late by then. We may have, we may have dropped too many points because we need a striker ASAP, really. And the other concern is he's not really match fit, is he? Because he's, he, I don't think he's even in the reserves, is he? Um, I think he's no, completely been frozen out. Yeah, he's yeah, been yeah, out. Of, uh, of, of he can't even go train. Yeah, he can't even. Well, he could go train, but he can't participate. He's not participating in, in in group training stuff. So it's going to take him, you know, in winter as well. It's going to take him two, three weeks to get match fit, and um, he he does have a, a, a pretty bad injury record of late. So I, I just pray and hope that he can be the Milik that everybody believed he would be three years ago. And it would be fantastic for Mate because he's 26 yeah, and, and he's an international striker. But it, it, it has the hallmarks of another flop. And I hope I'm wrong. As well, I never thought about that, actually. The fact that he's not been training with the team, that's very worrying. Yeah, if, if that's the case, then it probably isn't a good, a smart signing at this stage of the season. Um yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? Like, I, I, I do think we'll get him, but I, I think we will succumb to the demands of Napoli and pay some sort of, for some sort of stupid deal with a stupid sell-on percentage, which is just the kind of thing that we seem to do, like we did when we Troglu with Benfica, which is just oh, it's very bizarre. Um, I mean. But as I was saying to you earlier on, it's an odd suggestion from them. It's like, do they not know what we're like at selling players? Because I don't think they're going to recoup any of that 30% uh, sell-on percentage if they do agree that. But um, nonetheless, I do think we'll end up overpaying in some sort of way. And, and as you said, probably paying ridiculous wages. Um, and we'll end up regretting it if he turns out to be a player with long-term injury problems um, that we will not get the best of again um, ever. But I, I, I do think he's a very good player um, and I do think he would be he could be a very good signing for us, so I hope it does go through and I prefer his name to the other names that have been mentioned. I think the Mateta guy for me is just I'm not sure about and Dia, I like Dia he's a very good player but I, again I'm just not 100% sure that Dia is what we need. I, I do. Maybe yes. I don't. I'm. I'm kind of. I'm in two minds about it. In, in some ways, I want a very traditional centre forward, and in other ways, I feel that like we need someone that's got a lot of pace and movement because I, we really lack I that bet up we front. All said that about. Um, yeah, sorry. I bet we all said that about Amamandu Nyong at the time, and yeah, you know, yeah. look how he turned out. So Dia reminds me of Nyong a bit, but yes, it could go both ways. But you know, he's 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 pacey. And and I think he he wouldn't be bad. I don't think he'd be bad. Maybe he would never develop into an outstanding player. But I I think certainly he would. You know he would he would play his games and he'd be much better than certainly seventy percent of the attacking players. He's on form as well this season. He's got ten. Yeah, goals. he's having a great season. You're absolutely right. Um, I I I do remember like when we signed Niang. I he, I didn't. He was not a player that I wanted because I was fixated at the time on us replacing Drogba properly and went on for years and several years where we just we kind of were all wanting that kind of profile again and it never really came, came. I suppose we got Jibril Cece and who was a kind of proper centre forward for a bit but yeah Niang yeah he turned out to be a very pleasant surprise um, so yeah so maybe um, but to be honest Niang was uh, for me like he, his best was when he was playing out in the left and cutting in, and that was the kind of the player he was. And I see that's, a lot that's of that. Where plays as well. Yeah, so I don't know if that is yeah. that really what we need. I don't know. Um, it would really, it would require a change of system, wouldn't it? Or a, well, no, would require would, would, a, he, a would he? Well, it would do because Sorry. if you think about it, Payet plays in that role, and Payet doesn't play that role in the same way. Payet's a far more creative player, so it's going to be a change of system in the way Not that we year, change though. the game. Well. Yeah, and maybe Villas Boas isn't going to be there next year, but yeah, yeah. But would would Diaz run more than Payet? Of course yes he would. No? Of course he would. There you go. So, so that that's already a vast improvement on what we've seen from the, the fat lord so far this season. It, it, it's, but it's too late anyway. He's gone elsewhere, and I, I, I'm not excited by the Plan Bs. I'm not particularly excited about Minic, but I would rather have Minic than Matita. I agree with you, Steph, 100. percent If, but I'm. I'm holding out hope that maybe there's a you know mysterious plan C that turns out to be great, but 
it does seem like we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna go all the way with this negotiation with Napoli, and we'll see what it we'll we'll see we'll see where it leads. Yeah, um, I think we'll probably just wrap it up. Yeah, for tonight, I feel like it's been quite a long pod. Um, I don't know if there's anything think, else you want to mention uh, before we finish one, up. Yeah, sorry, one topic I guess that we could just cover off because it is important news for for the future and it will probably shape our summer plans, um, is the fact that Keno Plus and Sir Plankton, they're well within their right, have withdrawn from negotiations with the LFP to, to take over Midyapur's um, broadcast rights. And they've requested that, that it go back out to tender in a competitive fashion. So I think the LFP and La Brune were probably hoping that Canal would come in, uh, you know, not, at the, not nowhere near a billion, but probably at the same price that they paid for, for the 2016 to 2020 period which was about 700 million and just, you know, just take over broadcasting duties and, and business as usual and we'll forget about Media Pro. But Bolloré and, uh, and Maxime Saada, the Canal Plus CEO, have, have completely thrown them a curveball here. And the result is going to be they're going to bid a lot less because, you know, they're in the position of strength. And unless AB in sport and RMT come back on the frame and, and bid for some of the lots and we still end up getting a decent total, I reckon Canal will probably you know, end up paying less than what they paid for the previous four-year period. And that is going to handicap us because our budget is going to be reduced, but it's going to, it's going to kill a lot of smaller clubs in France, particularly in the second division. And that is, that is scary. Um, it's a joke, isn't it? It's a disaster. Um, I, to be honest, it's just something I just don't really want to think about. Yet, just because I know that the consequences are going to be so bad for not just for Marseille but for French football. So um, yeah, it's, it's grim. But anyway, um, I think we'll finish up for tonight. Yeah, because it's been a long part. Do oh, I just wanted to say actually that before we end, I I think. A few pods back, we we did say to people if if they were interested in joining, getting on the podcast sometime, listeners, to get in touch. So I know a couple of people did sort of get in touch over Twitter, but I think, uh, yeah, if people are wanting to join, just say, like, if you DM us on Twitter or email us or something, because otherwise I, 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 people tweeting, I always forget to kind of to follow it up. But yeah, that's all. Thanks very much, guys, for 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 joining. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Um, Thank you. Cheers, everyone.